I kind of appreciate the fact I'm not funded because it means I have an identity outside of the sport. It meant I, I meant I could go to uni and meant I could have, you know, a life. I have to have a job in order to pay for the sport. So I have things outside of training that I can work towards and other goals, which I think is actually like a blessing in disguise. Yes, I'd like free money, <laughs> but at the same time, I like doing other things and earning it. Um, and it means that I'm doing DMT for the love of it. It's a hobby rather than my job. That was Kirsty Way. I am Curtis Mansfield, and this is the Hips and Dips podcast. We now find ourselves episode 23, which is remarkable as I set out with only three names on my list. I like to think this podcast has become diverse and all-encompassing, and this week only serves to emphasise that point. I am once again utilising my ties with the University of Bath, where I graduated from in 2018. I'm not sure if I've mentioned that so far. So this week, I'm joined by fellow Bath alumni, Kirsty Way, who spent much of her university days doing DMT. Don't worry, this isn't Curtis Mansfield on drugs. DMT, in fact, stands for double mini trampolining. But Nan, if you are listening, please don't Google DMT. In fact, to say Kirsty did DMT is doing her rather a disservice. Kirsty excelled at DMT. She was part of the same TAS, which is Talented Athlete Scholarship Scheme, as Sarah Collin from back in episode six, which really culminated in Kirsty becoming a European gold medalist in 2018 and win three World Team Silver medals in 2015, 17 and 19 with Team GB. A mystery knee injury cast doubt over her qualification prior to 2019, but her resilience saw her bounce back to compete as well as become British champion. Um, so I'm really excited to get her on and discuss that sort of psychology behind an undiagnosed disease, or in this case, injury. This quote is great from Kirsty, taken from a previous interview. The opportunity to wear the team colours and wear the Great Britain flag is honestly a feeling that is indescribable. It well and truly is the biggest honour I could imagine. Before we get Kirsty on the pod, let me just remind you all, um, if you're, especially if you're new to the pod, that there's a whole back catalogue still available. If you have come in from a trampolining background, check episode nine with Luke Strong. If you're interested in Bath alumni, check out Sarah Collin or Adam Haynes. And if, like me, you're just captivated by all sport, then there's a variety of options. Ex-England rugby coach Stuart Lancaster, Team GB boxer Fraser Clark, or Team GB sprinter Beth Dobbin, to name just a few. Also, head over to the Instagram page, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z for details on all episodes and guests, including some up-and-coming product reviews. So without further ado, we're going to head over to the West Country and meet up with Kirsty Way. Right, Kirsty, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Mm, yeah, not bad. Um, it's uh, obviously very cold outside currently, and yes. um, obviously I keep forgetting that we record these episodes quite far in advance. So I'm hoping by the time people listen to this, it's sunny outside, and we're having one of those nice sort of March, April, 
uh, heat waves, mm. which I always love. Um, I hope it's not one of those years that we get the snow in uh, April as well. Say it was snowing today. Lots of it snow was snowing today. today. Um, and one thing I did do today actually was quite interesting. I went for a run, but on a snowy field. So obviously, if you run on the pavements, mm. you're you're asking for trouble because they're slippery as hell. Mm-hmm. But the fields are just like. So I'm on like a beach, so it's really good for your joints and stuff because you haven't got any sort of resistance. So that was quite uh, fun. And also, weirdly, because the whole, the whole ground's white, it's like running in the daylight because it's just really bright light, oh. which is quite cool. So, do you normally uh, run in the dark then? Uh, well, I, I was running at 7 p.m., so I don't really choose whether it's light or dark. It happens to be dark okay. at that time. But uh, oh. today was uh, today was was good. So that was a highlight of my day. But anyway. Um, so we always start these episodes with quite a broad uh, question, which is how was 2020 for you and your health? And I always like to find out from both a physical, mental and a social perspective. Oh, OK. Well, <laughs> 2020 is definitely a year to remember, uh, isn't it, for everyone? Obviously, it was meant to be quite a big year for me. I was going to graduate. Um, I had big competitions lined up. But that kind of all came tumbling down at, well, at the end of 2019, actually, with, with the injury. But obviously, we'll talk about that later. So 2020 was already kind of messed up right from the start before lockdown was even a thing. <laughs> um, I think mentally, 2020 wasn't too bad. Like I've always said that I've kind of been very, very lucky with my mental health. It's never been something I've suffered with badly at all so I kept very happy throughout 2020 um maybe towards the end I was just frustrated (laughs) more than anything but no mental health wise absolutely fine physical uh quite the opposite I was not fine (laughs) with injury and everything I started I had my um well like I said I won't go into too much detail but my injury happened and my surgery happened in February so I spent pretty much all of lockdown in a boot um so it was interesting trying to you know get up and down the stairs physically but no that was okay and socially well I think we all discovered the the beauty of FaceTime and and Zoom over 2020 didn't we really I I hate FaceTime I'm somebody that actually cannot stand talking to someone on a camera but apparently I've learned to love it now after a year of doing it (laughs) so yeah that's probably my 2020 summed up (laughs) well yeah it's um it's funny actually because I always say the question how was your 2020 but I keep forgetting that we're now what two months into 2021 2021. and Mm. um, by the time this goes out we'll probably be three to four months into 2021 but Uh, and it's still relevant because it's still it's still an issue right now we're still in this pandemic and we're still having these obstacles one thing that's um that's uh, always quite frustrating for me is so many of my guests have spoke about having that injury at the start of the pandemic and having their <laughs> surgery and having almost mm-hmm. this like prolonged forced recovery in some ways, which may mm-hmm. well yeah. prove to be good in the long term because um, you haven't rushed back. You haven't had those competitions a year after injury. You've had probably longer rehab than you probably would normally be allowed. And yeah. uh, and what's annoying for me is I'm actually scheduled to potentially have surgery in end of March, April. So I'm going to spend oh, wow. an entire year I could have rested um well resting but not recovering from anything because then finally mm-hmm. i'm allowed to go out and compete and play again oh. i'll have to have six months of surgery so uh i'm always very oh, envious of so people who've had that year in the old cocoon almost and now you're going <laughs> to emerge as a beautiful <gasps> butterfly at the end of that oh, cool. year um 
with all the oh, that was very unfortunate <laughs> unfortunate for you <laughs> it is yeah, I yeah. Mm. but um but oh well you can't <laughs> you can't have it all um so uh so we always start these episodes actually with um a nice introductory quiz a little icebreaker um. to get the old uh, juices flowing um and i always oh. try and base it on some sort of rubbish pun which i've taken based on the person's name so this week's episode is called kirsty's way or the highway uh which obviously is based on your name kirsty way and uh basically it's built on the idea that i assume you have a uk driving license is this correct this is correct yes uh, perfect. I'm not a very good driver. <laughs> well, this should be very easy. It should be 10 out of 10, complete waste of time. Because today mm. I am giving you 10 questions from the UK driving theory test. Could it be simpler? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Could not be simpler. So, first of all, are you ready? Um, I don't think I'm ever going to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's awkward, actually, okay. because if this goes wrong for you, I mean, I don't know if the DVLA are listening, but I'm not sure what the rules are. If they overhear you, don't know your theory. I'm not sure if you have to do another test or you get some points with your license. I don't mm. know how it works. But... I was say, if I get my driving license taken away from me because of this, I'm not going to be happy. Well, if you, if you, you deserve to get it taken away from you if you don't know <laughs> the answers to the questions. So it won't be my fault. Mm, we'll see. Right, here we go. Question number one. What should you always keep in mind when towing? Is it A, extra length and weight, B, additional noise pollution, C, overtaking cars, and D, additional fuel consumption? Um, all of them. <laughs> I'm going to go with, as the main one, A. Correct. It's a good start. <gasps> Oh, this, this is great as well because job. I didn't write any of these questions. These are all genuine questions. So you can't blame me if they're, if they're <laughs> poor, which previous guests have. Right, so question two, how can you avoid wasting fuel? Is it A, by keeping an empty roof rack on your vehicle? B, by having your vehicle serviced regularly? C, by revving the engine in low gears? Or D, by driving at higher speeds wherever possible? Hmm. Now this one's tricky. I'm going to go with B. <laughs> B, correct. Two out of two oh, so great. Far. Two out of two. Right, number three. Uh, you see a horse rider as you approach a roundabout. What should you do if they're signalling right but keeping to the left? Should you A, stay well back, B, proceed as normal, C, cut in front of them, or D, keep close to them? Hey. Hey, yes. Stay well back. <sighs> Can't trust those horses. Right. Question number four. What are they going to do? Uh, which light, oh, this is a tricky one actually, it's a genuine, it's quite a hard question. Which oh. light did you use when you're driving in a tunnel? A, front spotlights. B, side lights. C, rear fog lights. Or D, dipped headlights. I didn't even know you had that many light options on your car. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't either. It's all automatic. <laughs> um, D, dipped headlights. Yes. No. Yes. Four out of four. Great stuff. 
Uh, end of this interview i can hand you your driving license it'd be great great that's fab (laughs) episode number five um why are vehicle mirrors often slightly convex well it says in brackets here curved is it (laughs) a (laughs) they totally cover blind spots b they give a wider field of vision c they make it easier to judge the speeds of traffic behind or D, they master traffic. Sorry, mess up. D, they make the traffic behind look bigger. Mm, B, wider view. Yes. Oh, <sighs> five out of five. Right. Come on. Easy one next. Really easy, this one. Uh, what is the minimum tread depth for cars? <laughs> <laughs> is it A, two millimeters? B, one millimeter? C, 1.6 millimeter, or D, 2.5 millimeter? See, I thought the answer was three, and that's not any of the options. That would be a lot of tread. <laughs> so, I don't even know what the tread is. Um, was there one for 1.6? Did I hear that? Yes, there is one point. That is correct. That's the one I'm going with. 1.6, <laughs> correct. Um, I promise I'm not Googling these answers. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, you are approaching, uh, oh God, this is a picture one. I'm going to describe it to you though. Uh, you're, 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 which type of vehicle should you be ready to give way to as you approach an arched bridge? By which I mean a bridge which is higher in the middle than it is on either side. Like like a tunnel. But oh, a an arched bridge. An arched bridge, <laughs> correct. Like uh, a bridge with an arch. Yeah. Is it, is it A, cars? B, bicycles, C, buses, or D, motorcycles? Buses. C, because they're big and tall. Exactly. Easy, easy. Um, You're on a road that's only wide enough for one vehicle. What should you do if a car is coming towards you? Force the other driver to reverse, pull (laughs) into a passing place on your left, pull into a passing place on your right or pull into a passing place if your vehicle is wider? What side of the road do we drive on? Left. Do, uh, pull into a passing place on the left. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very well so far. Um, what lights should you use when you're driving on a wet motorway and vehicles are throwing up surface spray? Um, sorry, uh, there's, there's other options. Um, a side lights, <laughs> B dipped headlights, C rear fog lights, or D hazard warning lights. Fog lights, rear fog lights. Ooh, no. Oh no! No, it's <laughs> it's dipped headlights. Um, that was the answer to the other one. Yeah, oh. I I actually thought it'd be both. Uh, I'll be honest with yeah. you. I disagree with uh, the highway code here. I'd assume you'd want both if there's Thank you. surface That's spray, but, um, but I don't make the rules. So next question, <laughs> why should you check for motorcyclists just before turning right into a side road? A, they may be following you closely. B, they may be overtaking on your left. C, they may be overtaking on your right. Or D, they may be emerging from the side road. 
Ooh, uh, they may be emerging on my right. Uh, they may be overtaking on your right, do you mean? That's the one I meant, yes. Yes, <laughs> correct. That is correct. And uh, is this the last one? Is this the last one? Yeah. Um, okay. What is a major fire risk on the forecourt of a petrol station? A, ignition keys. B, children. C, the usage of mobile phones. Or D, pets. A fire risk? Yeah. Uh, the ignition one. Uh, well, no. the The answer is usage of mobile phones. That is the official answer. Oh. However, I'm pretty sure this has been disproven, um, and it turns mm. out the reason you can't use your mobile phone, you aren't allowed. It's against the law to use your mobile phone at a petrol station. No way. That is a thing. Yeah, or at least it's frowned upon. <laughs> then it was legal. What about Apple Pay? Uh, not on the actual forecourt, like on the actual uh, where the pumps are. Uh, but okay. I thought it was disproven and shown is because they reckon like people take longer on their phones, so it's a way of getting you to move quicker and be less like annoying and it's slow. It's not a fire hazard at all. Uh, well, that's what I've right. heard. But I think I was probably on QI, but to be fair, I get most of my facts <laughs> from QI, uh, so I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to uh, question them. But anyway, there you go. Nine out of ten. I think that's the highest in the series so far, so that's good. Oh, um, smashing it! Uh, if anyone at home got a ten out of ten, you're allowed to go down to your nearest uh, driving school and be handed a <laughs> license. Tell them Pips and Dips sent you. So that's, uh, that's good. I'm going to now have mine taken away because I didn't yeah. get full marks. <laughs> no, no, no. So that's all right, I think. I don't know. Where's the pass rate? I can't remember. 80, is it? 80, yeah. Or oh, 52, wasn't it? Out of 60. I can't remember. No, I can't remember. I would now. Matter. I had 100%. No, I didn't. Yeah, well, haven't we all? <laughs> haven't we all? Uh, <laughs> right, so uh, moving on. Uh, so to the serious point at hand. So... Oh, yeah. Uh, you are an international athlete um, in a sport mm -hmm. which is simplified to the term DMT, which my research has told me means double mini trampolining. Now, right. most of my guests I've had on this series, I've had a pretty good idea about the sport. I probably tried it at some point in the past. Um, and I feel like I'm quite competent to speak about it. In this case, mm -hmm. I know next to nothing about it, apart from the staff dumb and trampolining. Um, in fact, the first time I saw it was when researching you months back. And I know that sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it, really? When I was looking yeah. at you months back. And, it, uh, <laughs> and I saw you running down the runway, about to do what mm -hmm. I'd assume would be a vault. Looked pretty, uh, pretty, pretty simple. We'll see what's going to happen there. And next thing, you've done sort of several sort of flips and then landed on another trampoline yeah. and done more flips mm -hmm. and then landed on the floor as if you just done a normal bolt without all those mental flips in between so <laughs> that is my perception of the sport but please tell mm -hmm. us in your own words uh what is dmt oh gosh it's a lot easier when i can like use hand gestures which is great for you but not for listeners um so DMT, double mini trampoline, it's in the name. It's double, so two mini trampolines. So as you said, you've got to run up. I run from 19 and a half meters to be precise. Uh, and then you, you run, you run as fast as you can. And then you jump onto what is like this sl slanted trampoline. So almost a trampette. Um, 
and you jump on at this like slanted trampoline which propels you into the air and you would think it would like throw you backwards because it's at a slant but it turns out it doesn't funnily enough physics um so yeah you jump onto the slant you do lots of somersaults and then you jump onto the second trampoline which is connected to the slanted trampoline um lots of people sometimes think they're just like two randomly dot dotted around trampolines that i have to aim for um but no yes yeah, so you go from the slant to the flat trampoline do another somersault fly off and land on the landing area it's really difficult to explain <laughs> no no I think that was a good job um I think my my explanation was quite good as well but somewhere between yeah, I I agree. found the ultimate one um yeah that'd be fine uh, and how do they go about judging that is it, is it the same as like uh like classic vaulting almost just like artistic mm. times by skill difficulty and stuff yeah I'm not really gonna lie to you I don't know how a vault in artistic gymnastics is judged so neither, neither do I. I thought i thought i sound quite confident <laughs> but i don't even know what's going on <laughs> there's some numbers and times together someone so gets neither a of us know. they discount like half the judges um yeah normally from the more obscure countries and then someone gets given a score at the end it's all very uh <laughs> it's all very strange but how does your sport work pretty much the same no uh so i mean it's about to change so if you ask me in a year's time that it would all change but i don't know the new rules yet so i'll tell you the old ones you have uh five execution judges and i feel like anyone listening who realizes i'm saying this wrong is going to kill me but five execution judges and oh is it four i can't remember basically one of them or two of them depending on how many execution judges you have uh, gets discounted so three execution scores count it's out of 10 you normally get um, like a good score would be a 9.4 that's what we kind of aim for and then you also get your tariff judge which is your difficulty of your pass and then you add all of that together so your three execution scores and your difficulty and that gives you your overall score as easy as that as easy as that so is are they is it weighted more towards execution then or is it sort of 50-50 um so there is a lot in execution, but a lot of it is in landing deductions. So on the landing area, you've got three different zones. You've got the red zone, which is not the perfect zone. You've then got yellow, which is not ideal. And then blue, which is obviously like something's gone completely wrong. Or you could land on the, the off the landing mat completely on the floor and then something's gone really wrong. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so if you land in the red, you get no deductions. If you land in the yellow, you get... Mm, 0.9 I think and if you land in the blue you get 1.5 deducted and then you've also got to take into account steps so for every step you take you get 0.1 and it all just adds up so basically you want to land well and you want to do it nicely well, there we go well, that's uh that is a perfect description I'm sure so uh, but yeah, if, if people at home want to take two minutes to pause this interview and go on YouTube and type in DMT or or type in Kirsty's name itself and then she'll see some clips and then you'll probably get a good idea of what we're talking about because if you can't visualize it yeah this interview is probably very strange so find out what it is and then come back uh so, so how did you first get involved in that then well um so it's obviously very closely linked to trampolining so i started off well actually i started off as an artistic gymnast not a very good one uh, so when I was really young, probably like five, I started artistic gymnastics, wasn't very good at it, but you know, every little girl does gymnastics at some point. Um, I then did trampolining, I just joined a local trampoline club, 
um, just, to, you know, like a sports centre. Um, me and my sister were there and it was good fun. And I remember getting scouted, talent scouted almost. It felt quite nice. It was quite good. Um, so they basically said, you and your sister, you've got quite a natural ability for the sport. Do you want to start coming to our recreational club? which was in the same sports hall, but just on a Saturday morning rather than a Thursday evening. So me and my sister, we started attending this recreational club, um, trampolining, I started competing for them, and eventually started DMT as well as trampolining. Did both of them like side by side for a while uh, until I eventually decided that I wasn't gonna make it as a trampolinist. <laughs> so stuck to DMT, focused on that and the rest is history yeah it's uh it's, it's an interesting sport and it's one of those sports i imagine it's so highly weighted towards particularly as a young person the mental side of it like mm -hmm. i know i'm the sort of person who when i'm in a scary situation or situation with high danger i i freeze but always always in a bad way like um like i used to play a lot of rugby and i'd put my body in the way of stuff but last minute I'd be quite frozen so people would mm -hmm. sort of run into me and I might well tackle them but it wouldn't be I was I was never someone to make tackle on the front foot um right. and I can imagine doing something like we had a guest on a few weeks ago to bobsleigh I can imagine doing that but I'd be quite like uh I'd do it but I wouldn't be like wise eyed open and in the, <laughs> the moment sort of thing and yeah and say something like your sport where it's so important that you are present because it's obviously quite high danger when you're doing it. Um, mm -hmm. I'd really struggle just to do like the first flip or whatever it is. And I remember like I did some minor trampolining and some minor gymnastics when I was younger. And I really struggled with the very basic moves because I would yeah. get to like a vault and put my hands on it and then just completely freeze and sort of go up like <laughs> half a foot and then come down again. And that was like my trick done. Uh, <laughs> So I don't. So how? So was it for you? Was it just completely natural? You just went up there, you jump on it, and you felt really happy doing it, or did you have to get over that mental block? I think obviously starting off and trampolining before DMT was very helpful because you know you learn all the basics. Like you said, there's so much fundamentals to learn for gymnastics. So I learned most of my skills on the trampoline first. Um, and I was so young that you kind of don't have fear at that age, or I know I didn't really have fear. So throwing yourself in the air, throwing yourself, you know, doing all these somersaults isn't too daunting. But then when I started DNT, I just remember standing on the top of the runway thinking, I'm literally sprinting full pelt at a stationary object. <laughs> and you haven't got much choice. As soon as you've like taken off and jumped onto that first trampoline, you've got not a lot of control. You know, it throws you in the air and literally that's it. You know, you're off. <laughs> you can't suddenly back out. So um, DMT is a gutsy sport. You've got to be a bit crazy to do it. And that's what everyone always says, you know, trampolining itself, where you do, you know, it's all high jumping, 10 skills in a row, all very controlled versus DMT where it's adrenaline, it's power, and it's just madness. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> that, that madness, um, I imagine from a physiological point of view, you must put a lot of strain on your body. So mm -hmm. what kind of injuries do, in general, do DMT athletes tend to suffer from? A lot of it, um, it's lower body injuries predominantly. So 
with you know trampolining and DMT, it's not a huge amount of um, upper body strain, uh, unless you know something goes horribly wrong and the arm gets in the way. But we won't go into those details. So a lot of it for DMT is ankles. Um, over the years, I've suffered a lot of like niggles on my ankles, especially when. I don't want to like, you know, make people squirmish, but as you're running and you jump onto that first slanted trampoline, slight wrong angle and your ankle can just roll and suddenly it's gone and, you know, your ankles are broken, I don't know, or, you know, landing on the landing area, you're coming down from such a height, from such a force, straight down onto your, onto your feet, you haven't got much protection on your, on your feet, your shoes, so it's all the force going through your ankles, through your knees. So, like I said, lower extremities, so your knees, your ankles, your, they're your main injuries. And they are the ones I have also experienced. <laughs> yes, which we are going to get on to soon. Yeah. One thing that's quite interesting, I think, as well, is so you're, have you ever been in a situation where you've, you're halfway through a routine? Um, mm -hmm. Routine, the right word? Halfway through a, a move. Yeah, skill. Let's call it a move, skill, whatever, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know it's going wrong. And then it becomes, does it become like damage limitation? Are you thinking, how can I like abort but safely land without injuring mm -hmm. myself like you found yourself you know you should be facing upwards but you're currently facing at 90 degree angle or whatever it is and you're yep. going this is going wrong <laughs> what happens then is it just yeah just abort abort how does that so, work it's very interesting because when you're in the air obviously you've got so much kinesthetic awareness you know exactly where you are when you're doing all your twists and turns so as minute the minute something goes wrong you know it's gone wrong like a lot of people are visual um, learners. Lots of people can spot parts of the ceiling when they're doing skills. So if they're not seeing the same thing as normal, they know it's gone wrong. Or for me, I'm more of a, a feeler, we call it. So I feel where I am in the air. And I, I don't know how it works, but I can just sense when something's gone wrong. So as soon as it does go wrong, your body just goes into some automatic safety mode. And I think where over the years we've built up so much awareness of where we are in, in the air, a lot of the time your body takes over and it's not anything your mind can do, but your body just knows where to put you. Sometimes it's game over and you land on body parts that you shouldn't land on. But um, a lot of the time you are in that safety mode where your body protects you more than your mind can. If that makes yeah. Sense. In, um, in training, do you tend to jump into those little foam pits? which i think yes. is off. yeah <laughs> yeah one, I think should be, we should get moment. foam pits into more sports i just think there should mm -hmm. be like a foam pit all the way around the hockey pitch or rugby pitch so i think that'd be great get tackled into a foam pit i'd be a big fan of that uh yeah it's every, a big thing sport, though every sport like, some sort of foam i think it can only be a good thing really yeah you gotta learn how to fall at the end of the day especially in a, a sport that involves jumping and landing you can't be afraid to fall to maybe hurt yourself so being able to fall into a foam pit is a great way to develop that yeah well yeah and you also said um which is interesting you mentioned calisthenic awareness which is a term i've used several times because i think it sounds really intelligent and it's quite it's quite a good buzzword i use quite a lot but it's true i think i think as a nation perhaps maybe globally but in particular in this country i think we do lack calisthenic awareness at times and i think that's mm -hmm. has to partly be blamed on the current education system with PE in general like yeah and i don't, I don't know maybe maybe integrating gymnastics into well we, we they try to already introducing sort of calisthenic exercises and gymnastics into schools at a young age maybe really is the answer but 
but yeah it's just people don't know how to fall and also people just don't have mm. the correct distribution of strength so gymnastics and all aspects of gymnastics and trampoline and stuff is a great example of sort of having sort of the ability to move your body efficiently and mm. do whether that be in the form of doing triple flips or just doing like simple forward rolls but the amount of kids including myself mm. who struggle to do like forward rolls or backward rolls yeah. or um i remember like i did trampolining briefly at school and um i couldn't bring myself to do like a flip because it's such an alien mm-hmm. thing to do so yeah i said would you, would you agree that maybe the world would be a better mm-hmm. place if we integrated more calisthenics into schools definitely i always say i think gymnastics sets you up for so many different sports so you know in gymnastics you get that awareness that proprioception of where your body is you get the strength like you mentioned and it incorporates so many different fitness principles so you know the the coordination the the flexibility all of this all is involved in gymnastics and that can be applied to so many different sports um and I'm probably biased because I mainly have only done gymnastics so I see you know how gymnasts can then go and do different sports so well but I struggle to feel how maybe a footballer, for example, if they've only done football, yeah, they're going to have great coordination, you know, hand-eye coordination, well, not hand-eye, foot-eye coordination, whatever the word is. But they're not flexible and they don't have that even distribution of strength. So I don't know. I just think gymnastics sets you up really well for other elements. And if you do it from a younger age, I think it's even better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree with that. And... And, and, and I mean, there's, there's clear examples. You look at a lot of top athletes and you look at kind of how they started off. So many of them start off with having not necessarily gymnastics, but that kind of calisthenics, body weight mm-hmm. exercise background. And you look at, um, like I was researching strong men recently, um, not, <laughs> not researching strong men, researching strong men. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's a, I've got that history actually. But that was uh, but yeah, so they a lot of them have a history in other sports. So a famous one's Eddie Hall, who is the I think he's now the second heaviest deadlift of all time. And wow. he uh I think he might still be British champion. He certainly was previously. I think he was world's strongest man at one point. Um but anyway, he's an internationally recognized strongman. Well, up until he was like I think he was 18, he competed in swimming to like a very high level he's like yeah. a national level swimmer and i was chatting to someone the other day he's actually a potential guest and they were a strong man well they said oh, i was a strong man but they as a junior they did like cross-country running to a very high standard mm-hmm. like they did like gb schools cross-country running and stuff so for so many sports having that basis where you you, know, you encourage to do flexibility mobility work range of movement um and some form of sort of calisthenic awareness and body awareness can only really be a good thing. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, you take, you take a rugby player, you take a fullback in rugby. If you, if you've got the ability to be able to do gymnastic moves and have that understanding of where your body is, it can only help you when it comes to like a sidestepping another player or, you know, knowing how to score a try in the corner or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But, but it's funny. The thing that I find quite strange with your sport is I'm finding it so hard to picture myself in your shoes, which is interesting because <laughs> Every other guest said a lot of them have done sports in the past, but even if I haven't, you can picture it. So I'm not a sprinter. I'm far from it. I'm as slow as slow as they come, but I could imagine moving fast. 
So I could imagine I've done yeah. 100 meters before in a slow time. I could imagine doing that same thing just faster, like the, the air going through mm -hmm. my hair faster and the tree <laughs> past me faster and, and everything just being faster. I could picture that. Um, I could picture doing the bobsled, like I said, and just sitting there and seeing everything wishing past your face. I could imagine scoring a great try in rugby or a goal in football. Um, I can imagine it happening, but I can't mm -hmm. imagine running running for 19 and a half meters and then seeing floor sky floor sky floor sky mm. another trampoline floor sky crowd floor then land <laughs> i can't really imagine that <laughs> i can't imagine so accurate as well point of yeah i can't imagine like it from your point of view um which makes it really hard to understand those kind of the whole the whole mental situation you find yourself in mm -hmm. but is, is it a blur Again, for you or does it, does it really slow down when you do it? It's a complete blur. And like I said earlier, I'm not a visual gymnast, so I don't see things. Um, I could probably have my eyes shut and it wouldn't make a difference for me because I do it all through kind of spatial awareness. Um, a lot of the time, to be fair, if you are seeing things like the ceiling, it means something has gone wrong. I'm not going to lie, actually, thinking about that. But um, no, it... I also it's said I, was, I said I said do. sky, which is weird as well. I realised if you're doing it outside, <laughs> yeah, you're very wrong. There's too much taken account <laughs> winds and uh, water. It's far too to never do DMT outside. That should be a rule. Um, it's already a rule. That, but, um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct. That should definitely be a rule. <laughs> but no, it's something. Yeah, but you have to do it before you can imagine it. I would say, it's like when I say I was to learn a new skill at training. I can't imagine it until I've done it. So if you've never, you know, ran at DMT and, and done a somersault, then how, are you, how would you be able to imagine it, you know, if you've never done it? No, true, true. Um, okay, so let's move on, actually, because uh, this is the sort of thing that would be great towards the end of the podcast when we get into sort of any mm -hmm. other business. We can go on huge tangents about uh, calisthenic awareness and body mm -hmm. composition and so on. But for now, I want to get on to what really is the the underlying theme of course from this series of podcasts which is injuries and you're not someone who's been shy to the old treatment table so <laughs> let's start off perhaps with that injury you had back in 2018 with your knee so just fill us in what happened there well I think it's important to like bring up that prior to this injury that I'm about to explain I was injury free I'd gone however long, 12 years in the sport, maybe not quite that long, 10 years in the sport, and I'd never had a proper injury. And people counted me so lucky that I had niggles, but never a proper one. And then suddenly, boom, they all hit me. It's like they all wanted to catch up. But um, yeah, so it's 2018. So what happened? It was the end of the year, November. I just finished competing at a world championships in Russia. Um, I come home and you have like that off season, don't you? You have that time when you can just chill out and play around at training. And my coach let me attend a university competition. And uni comps, as you probably are aware, they're not always hugely serious for whatever sport that's in uh, and trampolining included. So I just, obviously, I compete in DMT, but I went to this uni comp and I competed trampoline. Um, I don't train trampoline very much, so it was a bit of fun. Uh, and I just enjoyed it, it was something different. And I was warming up and I did a skill and I came down and landed on the side frame, which is that like blue padding around the edge. 
Mm-hmm. I kind of landed on it and thought, oh, that kind of hurt my knee, but I didn't think much of it. Carried on, like competed, whatever. And then the next day I woke up thinking, oh God, it really doesn't help. That like really hurts. And I kind of backed off training for a bit because obviously I'd just come out of the World Championship. So I was having off time. Um, and eventually it just didn't get better. So I went to the doctor um, or the physio and they sent me for an MRI. You didn't find anything. A few more months passed and the doctor kept saying, you know, just carry on training. You know, you just, you're weak. You need to get your quads stronger and that will help your knee. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> um, but anyway, I carried on. Uh, had another MRI. They didn't find anything. Carried on competing. Was in agony at this point. I'm at this point where the doctor's telling me there's nothing wrong with you. And yet my knee is telling me you're in pain. Stop. It just became a psychological game at this point. Um, I was like, what is wrong with me? Am I weak? (laughs) But anyway, third MRI, uh, and they finally found a meniscus tear, which is just a tear in your cartilage. Mm. And a meniscus tear is is not a huge injury, really. It's quite easy to pick up on an MRI. But we think what happened was it was a small tear that they didn't notice. And then where they kept telling me to keep training to get myself stronger, um, it then just got bigger and bigger. And that's what caused my knee injury. So then, um, so that was the cause of the injury, but then what happened next? How did you recover? And then where are you now? Okay, so I had surgery. So like I said, the injury happened in November or December 2018. I had surgery in June. That's how long it took them to figure out what was wrong with it. Six months later, I had surgery. It was actually quite a quick surgery, only three months rehab. I then qualified or I didn't qualify but I was allowed to compete at the British Championships in September 2019 Uh, I won and I qualified my place for world championships in 2019 so it's quite a quick turnaround (laughs) yeah that is um that is quite uneventful actually it's a real shame yeah (laughs) I I know sorry no no details anecdotes on it Uh, (laughs) as you mentioned you're injury free before that miscus tear but I think you've had a few other injuries since is that right Yes. So, uh, like I said, I qualified my place for Tokyo 2019 World Championships, competed in them in November. Bear in mind, I'm only five months post-knee surgery at this point. So question of whether I was fully rehabbed is still up in the air, but hey-ho. Competing out in Tokyo, I'd qualified for the final. Uh, I was warming up for the final out the back. I'd done my warm up. We were about to march out the front, and I thought to myself, I'd do one more, one more run, just keep myself warm. Jumped on, and as I explained earlier, how ankle injuries are so common, I jumped on onto the slant, slanted trampoline. My ankle went, and that was my ankle gone. But you know, just about to go into a world championship final, I was like, take me up, physio, give me some painkillers, let's go, let's go compete on it. And I ended up competing on it, and. I had to do a total of four runs at the DMT out the front and it ended in me in a heap on the floor being wheeled out in a wheelchair. Oh dear. Yeah. And then what was the aftermath yeah. of that one? So uh, that one was a quicker turnaround, but it turns out I had three, well, actually, no, oh, I won't get into the detail of that, but basically they found it eventually that I had three ruptured ligaments on the outside of my ankle and then on the inside of my ankle, there's this muscle that runs down the inside of your calf. Uh, and the structure that holds that muscle in place had like snapped off. 
so my muscle had twanged over to the other side of my ankle bone okay. and it was just sitting in the complete wrong place it was called a, like a retinaculum tear or something I don't know um, and it took them a while to a thing fell out. Um, it took them a while to figure it out because there'd only been uh, five reported cases in history of this injury. Oh wow! Well, yeah. That's cool, isn't it? <laughs> so they have. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But when the surgeon comes into you and goes, "Right, Kirsty, so I've been researching this morning how to do this surgery." I was like, "Oh, great! So you've never done it before. You don't know what you're doing. Excellent." <laughs> I rang, I rang the guy in China who did it last. He informed me. <laughs> yeah. It's very easy. Pretty much. Yeah. The video. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was in February 2020, the surgery. And then I had all of lockdown to recover. Well, great. And as we mentioned earlier, you had this extended period of recovery, which is good. And I'm sure yeah. it means you're coming back now probably stronger than ever in some regards. So uh, that okay. is... Uh, that is definitely a positive for you there. Uh, you mentioned in there actually Tokyo quite a few times, which is uh, mm. interesting because obviously we're going towards the Tokyo Olympics. Um, so yeah. many of my guests from recent weeks um, were set to be Tokyo Olympians last year. And obviously now they'll hopefully be Tokyo Olympians this year. But of course, you went to Tokyo not for the Olympics because your sport isn't classed as an Olympic mm-hmm. sport. Um, yeah. Is that something you think, well, obviously, it's, that's a silly question. Of course, it's a shame for you because you've not been limping, of course. But um, does that make it strange when sort of some aspects of your sport, so obviously some trampolining is in the Olympics and some isn't? Yeah, I don't know, really. So, oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so it's difficult because... DMT is so different to trampolining that I don't consider them the same sport um, and I'm not overly fussed about going to the Olympics I know the sport's not in the Olympics um, and I quite like it it makes it different it means that you're doing it for like, intrinsic reasons you're doing it for the love of the sport rather for them you know that Olympic medal for that Olympic recognition and oh, fantastic that's own- one of my that's one of my buzz phrases you get yeah ding, 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 star prize one of my buzz phrases i used <laughs> so many times this season i've used the phrase calisthenic awareness and intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation so perfect don't know what you win oh, you yay. win a kitchen dining set or whatever so you've been on bullseye perfect but, um but yeah sorry carry on but yeah that is one of my go-to phrases yeah, no, no, no. So, yeah, I think we have our equivalents. So we have the World Championships, we have the European Championships, and every four years we have the World Games, which is the Olympics for non-Olympic disciplines. So I think I have enough to work towards that I, I, it doesn't bother me that it's not in the Olympics because same goal at the end of the day, competing against the world, just a different title, world champion versus oh, Olympic yeah, champion. Yeah. Different, different branding, I suppose, yeah. You're still competing against mm-hmm. the best in the world, so... Mm-hmm. Was, um, what was Tokyo like though because obviously I'm assuming that's going to be the same venues they're going to use for the Olympics this year yeah it just been built and uh, we were the first it was the trampoline arena so we were the first time it was used it was incredible it had this wooden theme to it and every I mean the benches that we sat on were incredibly uncomfortable because they were benches but um it just looked so smart and you go around Tokyo and you could see little advertisements for the, the Olympics and see some of the Olympic village. Um, 
it looked incredible. And I know when the trampolinists were there, they were kind of looking at it as if to say, oh, we could be here next year or and stuff. And we were just thinking, wow, you lucky guys. <laughs> Fantastic. But obviously with the lack of Olympics, also generally mm-hmm. comes a lack of funding in this country. So um, rightly or wrongly, when, when they're dishing out the pot of money, if you can win an Olympic medal or compete in the Olympics and you're more valuable than those who can't, which is generally how the system seems to work. So, mm-hmm. um, do you find it hard perhaps being a, a non-professional athlete? So having to juggle sort of, well, in your case, ju- juggle your studies with some sort of monetary earning along with your sport? Yes and no. So obviously it is difficult having to fund myself um you know we don't get paid we don't get anything really uh, admittedly we get our trips paid for for a world championship so we don't have to pay to go to Tokyo when you're a senior but you, you do it a junior um but I think I kind of appreciate the fact I'm not funded because it means I have an identity outside of the sport it meant I, I meant I could go to uni and meant I could have you know a life I have to have a job in order to pay for the sport so I have things outside of training that I can work towards and other goals which I think is actually like a blessing in disguise yes I'd like free money <laughs> but at the same time I like doing other things and earning it um, and it means that I'm doing DMT for the love of it it's a hobby rather than my job yeah. and I think that's really really important it is important as well, especially when it comes to injuries and having to have that motivation to come back. I think if, mm-hmm. if you're being motivated because you kind of have to, because it's how you earn your living, um, yeah. or people are making decisions on your behalf, so say people are saying, you know, you must come back and compete now because we're paying you to do so, or mm-hmm. you must do this physio, or you must see this doctor because, you know, we own you sort of thing because you sign a contract. Um, whereas in your case because you have that freedom um, to be an amateur athlete must be great mm-hmm. and, also, and also I think I said it's, it's always hard for me to comment because I'm not in that circle so I don't know how I'd react but from the outside I quite like the idea of there being more amateur sport and having mm-hmm. you go back 20 years in the Olympics and most athletes were amateur um, whether that be athletics yeah. or swimming or gymnastics whatever it was most people were amateur um, whereas now it's the opposite particularly in the major nations, so the Americans, the Australians, the British, um, they're all pretty much professional or semi-professional athletes. So I don't know if mm-hmm. that, does that tarnish the game slightly? I don't know. Does it change people's motivations? It slightly? Make, yeah. it's, a, it's a tricky one, is it? Does Has the Olympics become more of a an advertising, money-making tool? Or is it still yeah, about the athletes and about bringing nations together? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. It's not really my place to say. It's, yeah. And I don't think we're ever going to, we'll ever know because you're either an Olympic, you know, funded athlete or you're not, you very rarely get someone who's both. So it's easy to say, oh, you know, all these funded athletes are doing it because it's their job, but at the same time, they're doing it because they love it at the same time. So. Oh no, I certainly certainly don't doubt the athlete's um, desire. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, maybe it changes that, but it does become interesting. Um, I said also so people always forget that you talk about being funded doesn't mean you're being paid well so mm. there's a lot of athletes who are funded athletes earning like 10 grand a year so that's not exactly <laughs> you can, I'd be very unlikely if they're doing that for the money 
so to speak. No, uh, exactly. But having said that, I think there is still that. I don't know. Say, say, say you're naturally gifted at running, and you get to the point where you get paid very well to run. I don't know. Maybe then it does start to slip into that extrinsic motivation. Are you doing it for mm-hmm. the fame and the money rather than doing it for purely because you still love the running and you've got a natural gift? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter either way. To be honest, I, mean, I, st- I still love the Olympics the way it is, but it's just it is interesting. Um, I remember there was a, a great film based on a true story, the film Miracle. I'm not sure if you ever saw that about uh, it was Kurt no, Russell, I didn't. and it was about uh, the 1980 American ice hockey team who won the gold medal. Right. Uh, against the Soviet Union and if any of my friends are listening they know I'm obsessed with any any (laughs) sports film I've I've seen them all but this is a this is a great one uh, they were like they were ranked like sixth or seventh I think in the world at the time so they weren't favorites to win the gold by any means Uh, but they win it anyway and it's a big like it's during the cold war obviously so it's a bit political a bit of sport uh, but anyway, I think what's interesting at the very end there's a quote from uh, his name was Herb Brooks and he was the actual um the character Kurt Russell plays, the actual head coach of the team. And he speaks about, I can't quote it directly, but he says, um, since 1980 onwards, they now have what they call dream teams, when all the best athletes from America, all the professionals from the NHL come and play. And he says, I don't see how you can have a dream team if you can no longer dream. So on those lines, Ooh. and the idea that. And that actually might be better than the actual original quote. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's <laughs> on the lines of uh, when you had, so up until then, all the athletes were amateurs. So they were like college players. Um, so, you, so you were like up until the age of like 22, you went to compete in the Olympics before you became a full mm-hmm. professional. Um, which in some ways you go, well, those, are, those aren't the best players in the world. Those are the best non-professional players yeah, uh, yeah. So is, is that really is the olympics about surely having the best of the best and if the best of the best can't do it because they're professional then it's tricky but then you go and you fast forward to nowadays when you've got all the nhl players um, or for basketball you've got all the nba players and so on and it's like well is that olympic medal the pinnacle of their sport mm-hmm. um or, no, or was it much was it much more emotional when it was these college players who this was a highlight of their lives, the Olympics? Um, was that a more powerful when they could dream of winning the Olympics and then before you had these dream teams, mm-hmm. was that more significant? And this is a massive tangent, actually, because we could have a whole debate about whether um, sport, sport should only be allowed in the Olympics if it's the pinnacle of your sport, in my opinion. So I think, like, gymnastics, right. winning a gold medal is the best thing mm-hmm. you could possibly do in your sport. I think swimming, athletics, rowing it's the best thing and it's like football is winning olympic gold medal the highlight of your career probably, probably not. not winning the world cup would mm. be winning the champions league um golf well you say probably not you'd probably rather win the masters or the british open the winning yeah. gold. tennis you'd rather win, win, win i never thought of it like that, that that's it's the way i always think about it yes yeah, so i think it should be mm. olympics should always be the pinnacle so if it's not the pinnacle mm. then it shouldn't be there so you can go through most sports and if there's something bigger than that sport and then you go well there's sports which aren't the olympics where the olympics would be the biggest so it probably would be the biggest thing for you guys if it was there yeah you can meet the olympics and squash isn't isn't in the olympics but that would be the biggest yeah. event for those guys it's the biggest event for like taekwondo i know karate's in it this year that will be the biggest event for karate mm-hmm. people um and then yeah and if it ever got to the point where athletics 
there was something bigger than the Olympics, which I don't think is possible, but say there was, then I think it'd be time for athletics to disappear as well because yeah. it should always That's be such the a big part, though. Yeah. It is the main part. But then if there was something better than the Olympics, which is impossible, but if there was, <laughs> then I suppose it makes sense that you'd have to just, yeah. yeah. I, I, just, I just think it's silly when you've got like tennis players turning up and they're sort of half half arsed at it and mm. someone wins in and you go like, Andy Murray, for example, won like two Olympic gold medals, but he's only won three, three um, Grand Slams. Grand so it's Slams, like, does that make yeah. sense? Surely, why is yeah. one fed up on the gold? And I don't know. That's a whole other debate. Let's not get into that. Um, I've just, ran- <laughs> I forgot what we, what are we talking about. Let's have a look. Let's have a look at the list. I don't know. <laughs> uh, right. Highlights. <laughs> what, what have been the highlights of your career so far? oh gosh that's a great question I mean there's two different sides to this we can even talk about well we're going to talk about both probably but sporting highlights and just general highlights because the main thing for me like what I'm taking away from this whole experience of being an athlete is just the fun I have with it like how much I love it um you know I go to training and it's just incredible we have so much laughs and so much like friendship is made and I think that has to be the all-time highlight it lets me travel the world all of this kind of stuff the experiences but then you know if we're talking about achievements then I'm gonna have to go with that 2018 European gold because that is my best achievement to date and yeah can't really argue with that one (laughs) how um how is the what's the term for this how is the distribution of talent around the world when it comes to dmt is is it sort of quite eastern european dominated or is it more americans so in some in some in some events some sports the european champions actually is very similar to the world champions in terms of your ability mm-hmm. so if you're european champion you've got a good chance of competing at the world's sort of in the top free or, or winning it whereas other sports you go like sprinting for example winning the european medal for 100 meters doesn't necessarily even put you in the top 10 in the world sometimes because yeah. you know, the jamaicans and americans dominate it and swimming winning european doesn't mean as much because the biggest swimmers in the world are in america and australia mm-hmm. how does that how does the distribution think, work in your sport i think where the sports so like underdeveloped is one thing like there's not many people who do it really across the world in comparison to you know some major sports it's not so much where I don't know how to explain it but it's talented individuals rather than talented countries I would say mm-hmm. so you obviously you've got USA who are incredible but are they the best in women's not really they are I mean technically yes they're world championship they're, they're world mm-hmm. champions for the team at the moment but you know individually are they the best I don't know current the current world champion for women is from sweden but there is she's the only person from sweden who's good at the sport so as soon as you know she retires sweden's going to drop off and it's not going to be the top and it's going to be someone from i don't know denmark that's going to pop out of nowhere who knows Uh, and you can't compare men's and women's either so in men's the usa are up there but russia are the absolute best um, but in Great Britain, you know, men's are good, but they're not making world finals. Whereas women's DNT in Great Britain, we're making world finals easily. So 
it's so varied and I couldn't say oh it's mainly eastern whatever you said I don't know because I think it depends on the talent of the gymnast rather than the development of the sport in the country hmm. well, that's interesting actually I always, I always find it quite funny when someone tries to think of a place um to prove a point so <laughs> say, like <laughs> Sweden or like any country in Europe Denmark the one next to it. <laughs> it always makes me laugh <laughs> so, think of a country, 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 country uh Denmark yeah yeah <laughs> the one right next door to it but there we go yeah of that that Denmark Sweden area is clearly a strong point for DMT clearly mm, well I think I don't know see there's no one from Denmark there's sorry this is really annoying me actually is, I think is there a drug called DMT Have yes I, there is isn't there? yes there is <laughs> so I keep saying it and I keep saying <laughs> the strong point for DMT how do you do DMT how do you get involved in DMT, etc.? And I keep thinking this definitely yeah. could easily be a drug podcast. I remember, so sometimes, you know, British Gymnastics, our governing body, will post a video on on their Facebook page, being like, "Oh, you know, Kirsty Way, DMT champion," and you just get <laughs> random members of the public being like, "Oh, I'm a DMT champion as well," and I'm just thinking, <laughs> "Come on, guys, keep this friendly," you know. <laughs> Come on, it's a family game. Yeah, you know, Come it's on. a sport. <laughs> Grow up. Okay. <laughs> um, well, actually, this question's a little bit out of place, actually, but you spoke about um, obviously injuries and we spoke about sort of being a, a non-professional athlete and having mm-hmm. your time probably busy with other things. So you're working, you're studying, you can't always focus on your training and recovery. But how, how do you manage your body in general? Because obviously, as we're all aging, unfortunately, and we're getting into those mid-20s, um, in my oh. case, not in your case, in my case. Um, and, and and it becomes uh, obviously a lot harder to sort of keep. So as someone who's not an athlete who needs flexibility, um, but it's still desirable, it just becomes harder to, to maintain that level of flexibility, maintain that level of recovery, mm-hmm. maintain level of fitness. So how do you, what sort of methods do you use to keep recovering well? Mm, well, I'm going to be honest with you. It's only in the last two years that I've actually felt the need to take care of my body, like actively take care of it. Because I think up until that first injury in 2018, like I said, I was so lucky that I didn't have injuries that I just I would go to training I would you know warm up well and I would stretch at the end I would make sure I eat after training and that was pretty much all the recovery I needed um but now where I'm obviously getting older and I've had these injuries I'm having to now develop these mechanisms that you're talking about you know the time in the evening spent doing more stretching or this time in the evening foam rolling or rolling out my quads with whatever the other roller things called I don't know what it's called um or icing after a session because I feel a niggle and there's just so many things that I have to think about but they all they're all natural now that because I whatever my body needs I'll do it if it feels hungry obviously I'll feed it you know if it if it hurts I'll go have a warm bath <laughs> um I do it more when it when the body's telling me rather than actively always doing it um but injury prevention is now a big thing for me and I think the main way I can prevent injuries is through strength training. So uh, I love obviously like going to the gym and 
getting strong and I don't do it just because I want to be strong for the DMT I just I want to be strong you know I if I wasn't doing DMT I'd probably go into cross training or something I don't know because being strong is such an important part for me so I think if my like my main focus now on how I take care of my body is to try and make it as strong as it can be um so that injuries are less likely to happen yeah strength strength is important and strength something which people who aren't actively involved in I won't say elite sport, but sort of higher end of sport often forget how important it is. And obviously we, mm-hmm. we're both fellow um, Bath graduates. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. I assume you graduated. I graduated. Did you, did you graduate? <laughs> I graduated on Zoom. Well, that counts. There we go. Uh, I, was, I was in person. Um, so I don't yeah. know if that counts more. I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think it's the same. Um, we still got a degree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so both, we both obviously used the Bath gym. Um maybe at the same time actually thinking about it but um obviously i don't know but but what's interesting is when you go to the bath gym which is famous for being chocker blocks full of people you realize Mm -hmm. how many sports take strength training really as a real priority so you look at um these top tennis players you know maybe they're like under 18s gb tennis players and they spend so much time doing squats and lunges and mm. uh, lots of core work um, sort of shoulder strengthening to reduce injuries you see your gymnast you see your swimmers I used to be a lifeguard actually at, at, at the bar swimming pool and we had there's a swimmer called uh, Michael Jameson who was okay. uh, he was Scottish champion and he was GB silver medalist back in 2012 um, yeah. And I was a big swimmer at the time and I was a bit of a fanboy. So I'd sit there as a lifeguard <laughs> and just watch him all, all the whole time. So I apologize if anyone goes any bother during those during those years because I wouldn't have helped because I was too busy <laughs> watching him. But he used to do like an hour to two hours of warm up before he got in the pool. So you see all mm. these swimmers and they get there, they've got the distance bands out and they're working on shoulder mobility, shoulder strength, back strength, um, lots of core workouts before they get anywhere near the water. That, yeah. I don't know why they have to be done on poolside. I don't know why they have to do it like in speedos yeah. as well. It's a weird thing about swimmers. They've got a big obsession with walking around in minimal clothing, just doing stuff <laughs> which doesn't require the swimming pool, but doing it near the swimming pool yeah. is like just to show off, I guess. But um, I noticed that. <laughs> but <laughs> but but they uh, but yeah, so you just realize all these sports, the mm. strength and conditioning part of it now is so important. And I think a lot of people who aren't involved in sport or perhaps aren't involved at certainly the higher end of sport think the way you train to be a, a trampolinist is on the trampoline, which obviously yeah. is, a, is a part of it and is obviously quite an important part. Or the way you train to be a rugby player is by playing rugby, etc. When actually the way time's divided nowadays for so many sports, actually it's almost shifting more heavily in the strength and conditioning side. So you spend yeah. more time in the gym than you spend in the pool. You look at someone like Adam Peaty, again, another swimmer, um, probably the biggest swimmer mm-hmm. in the world right now. Uh, you watch his training programs and basically he's mostly in the gym he's mostly working on chest strength and arm strength and core strength and the swimming becomes relatively a smaller part it's like a less important part really you've got that nailed mm-hmm. down you focus on getting stronger um and it's so important and it's so important for injury prevention um and that's why i think so many physios focus on what they call prehab which you may have come yep. across that term so prevent injuries by getting stronger getting more flexible um 
getting that, that greater range of motion rather than treating the inevitable injury that would occur. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay, so I suppose almost to finish, we've got one more quick question afterwards, but what does the future hold for you? Oh, heck. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, if COVID would like to sort itself out, that would make this question a lot easier to answer. But I'm still rehabbing. So I'm still not back to full fitness yet after the ankle surgery. But the future or the nearest future for me is the World Championships at the end of this year, providing they still go ahead. So November, the World Championships are going to be in Azerbaijan, uh, which sounds bizarre, but that's actually the country I won my European gold in. So I'm kind of finding, I find it my lucky country, shall we say. (laughs) Um, So yeah, the goal is to qualify for that. Um, but with the year I've, you know, the injuries I've had over the last two years, I don't really have a goal for it. Um, just, you know, turn up and, and, and compete would be nice without breaking my ankle. But the all-time goal is I, I want to be a world champion because I think that's just the icing on the cake, isn't it? If you can be, you know, I've been Southwest, English, British and European champion. So the one I haven't ticked off the list yet is world. So that is the gold but who knows i've got to work hard to get there who knows when it will happen well yeah that's the goal that's the the motivation the uh yeah the semi-extrinsic semi-intrinsic motivation i suppose um which is great ding, ding, ding. do you know the uh <laughs> what did i win a prize yeah like, uh, a, <laughs> a revamped bathroom microwave a microwave um <laughs> do you know the capital of azerbaijan we're going to Baku, so I'm going with Baku. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I do. I do love a good uh, capital city. So uh, <laughs> congratulations, you're gonna have a point. I'll I'll give you ten out of ten. Thank you. I was gonna say yeah, <laughs> ten out of ten. Then <laughs> if that comes up on the uh, driving theory test, but if it did, you get now. a point for that, which is good. Um, that's the only capital country I know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Oh, uh, good geography. Uh, so to finish, we always finish with what we call any other business, which. Uh, okay is something when basically my guests can talk about anything they want from the world of sport or the world on the whole or current affairs or social okay. media or whatever they fancy really is there anything you want to you want to mention oh wow uh well i could talk about anything um what do i want to talk about well i'll tell you what i'll i'll put something in your mouth um i'll put a phrase there uh how what why don't you tell us more about what you do outside of dmt because i realized i asked you all these questions but of course you're currently studying a master's degree uh, yes, which must have an interesting story behind that yeah well i think that's a good that's kind of the route i was going to go down anyway is that more oh, advice cut that out do you have any other business <laughs> I would offer probably advice to anyone going into elite sport um, is like I mentioned earlier, is developing that identity outside of the sport, because as much as it's great having, you know, the sport while it lasts, you need to be able to fall back on something when it stops. As sad and depressing as that sounds, you know, it's not going to last forever. So um, I did my undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science, which is basically a degree for people who don't know what they want to do, but they really enjoy sport. 
Um, <laughs> uh, I actually really enjoyed it. And now I'm doing a master's in nutrition, physical activity and public health. So I've kind of got rid of the sports side of it and I'm now focusing more on exercise, which is interesting. Um, and yeah, and I'm so into it that I'm now considering doing a PhD. Oh, I think, wow. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're I'm not, not, ready to, uh, not ready to grow up and join the Literally, I just don't want to be an adult yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you made the right decision. I, I didn't want to grow up. I chose to grow up and I regret it. Uh, yeah, I, want to back, exactly. I want to go back to school, back to uni. Um, I lost the last, I lost my final year of uni because of COVID and I've now lost my master's. So if I can do a bit more studying, <laughs> you know, I'm going to take it. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting because we, we spoke with a few guests about and you, actually you mentioned it yourself the idea about having said having something outside of sport mm. um, and perhaps that's a benefit to being an amateur athlete because you've been forced yeah. to have another life outside of sport yeah. um, and previous guests we discussed whether sports do enough to prepare their athletes for after the mm. the money stops and the sport ends and sometimes yeah. I've questioned whether certain sports do um and also i've questioned whether sports should have to as well because in some ways maybe the responsibility falls on the athlete themselves on the mm-hmm. other hand i think should should people be people obviously are naive and they're young when they get involved in these sports and then suddenly next thing you know you retire and you haven't got any qualifications or you haven't got any world experience and it becomes very hard for you to adapt and there's quite a lot of evidence around Mm. sort of the mental health of athletes when they retire because suddenly they lose that massive part of their life i actually think um i'm a big fan of the american system um and that's based probably on seeing too many documentaries and films based around it and there's probably actually no scientific evidence for this but you know the way they have the ncaa in america so Mm -hmm. they're equivalent to our bucks but obviously in america a lot of their sports go through college um so yeah. lots of sort of top gymnasts go to college. Lots, obviously, all the American footballers and Football, basketball players yeah. and baseball players. And it gives you that amazing experience because, again, from the outside, like these are these American football teams, they get crowned. Some of them up to like 100,000 people to watch their games. So you get that experience of being a professional athlete, but you're not professional. You don't get paid. You have to study at the same time. You might come out of a degree which is almost laughable for some people. They go, "Oh, that doesn't count as a degree," but it's still a degree. It's still um, well. Sorry, that's, that that sounds quite bad. What I mean is, like, it's a degree where they've really, like stuck stuff together to give you kind of like minimal mm. contact time and how to train and so on. But regardless, what people say, you still come out of a degree from a top university, um, which in later life can only benefit you in the job market. Yeah, obviously, you learn to mix the different people outside of your sport from all around the country so actually you kind of really reward their talent with not only um, allowing them to play their sport but also allowing them to perhaps prepare themselves for later in life and those who then pick up injuries when they're like 19 20 still have got so much to fall back on from mm-hmm. sports given them um so yeah. the same for gymnastics same for swimming same for athletics most of these guys go through college on the way to either being professional or not being professional in the end but still having a great experience of playing at a high level and then also having a degree. Compare that to this country and you take our major sport. So if we say America's major sport is American football and our country's sport is football, mm-hmm. most of these kids get involved in these academies from sort of 
well, like six upwards, sort of thing, and they get really involved from the age of say mm-hmm. sixteen. Um, although a lot of these a lot of these academies are putting more emphasis now on getting qualifications, ultimately from the age of eighteen yeah. onwards, you're full-time athlete if you then break your leg or whatever or do something serious and your career's over you've got nothing to fall back on apart from a few mm-hmm. good stories to tell on the pub sorry um well of course <laughs> and that yeah and that's uh, and that's consistent with quite a few sports so i don't know how you can even do it but i don't know if there's some merit perhaps in having a more education-based system perhaps encouraging more sports to use but mm-hmm. so say if for gymnastics let's just say Bucks was like the pinnacle of British gymnastics. So if you win a gold medal at Bucks, you're a really big deal. Um, And, you know, maybe then you market it better. You get more crowds, you get more funding. I don't know how, Mm -hmm. I think it's such a hard thing to do, but I I don't know. It's just, I feel that maybe there's something to be said for encouraging people to go down the route you've been down because you, you, you're pretty set up. You can retire in say five years Mm -hmm. um, with, world and european medals um and british medals and so on and then walk straight into a career in nutrition or some other sport field yeah. but not, not going in just as someone who did the sport but going in with someone with great knowledge and great uh, a great cv so i don't know it's tricky when you compare that to people mm-hmm. like we had luke on a few weeks ago obviously luke dingo's university luke yeah. was a full-time trampolinist or trampoline gymnast and now he's turning down the barrel a little bit of a of a less certain future than perhaps you have. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly, and that's the difference, I guess, between the like we said earlier, the funded and the non-funded, where someone like Luke who hasn't necessarily had the chance to go to uni because it's been so focused on on getting that you know Olympic spot. Whereas for me, it wasn't much of a choice. If I had a brain that could go to uni, then it was kind of go because if anything uni helps you because I get a scholarship I'm not not compared to America but I get more money by going to uni for the sport than if I was to just go and get a job mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah I I, uh, I certainly think there's merit perhaps in that kind of system uh, but equally I mean our system's been successful here as well and in some ways if it ain't broke don't fix it but then mm-hmm perhaps it can there can be cracks in these sports which you don't realize are issues until suddenly that money dries up let's just say now trampolining runs out of money and everyone becomes amateur again well the Mm. system's not really designed to cope with that in some ways so um it can be tricky but okay uh i think we're going to probably round up there because i think that's been a really nice interview and a great way to finish uh if people want to find out more about you where can they go uh they can go to youtube there's lots of videos on there. If you type in Kirsty Wade DMT, or oh, I'm gonna do a little Insta plug here. You can check out my Instagram. Uh, it's just Kirsty underscore Way. Or I even have a little fitness account now. I made a little a little account for me to do stupid challenges. So if you fancy uh, watching a few face plants and stupid Instagram challenges, then my Insta is Kway underscore Fitness. Have a look. <laughs> Great stuff, yeah, and um, I will do my plug now as well. So you can also check out at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z, which is really important, um, uh, on Instagram. And of course, I'll tag uh, Kirsty and all the information on there. And um, there's all information on my previous guests as well. So check all that out. Uh, so all that leads me to say really is thanks for coming on. Best of luck for the rest of the season. And I'll be seeing how you get on.
Amazing. Thank you for having me. It's good fun. Kirsty was great, a real bundle of energy and someone who, like me, just enjoys being active in any capacity. Make sure you follow her socials. That's at Kirsty underscore way or at Kway underscore fitness on Instagram. It's funny, actually, I was concerned the talk of snow and cold weather would seem rather outdated by the time this interview was released two months later here in April. But after the week we've just had in the UK, I think it still feels quite relevant. Monday, I woke up to snow, drove to work in a blizzard, had a trunch through an inch of snow for half a mile to the hospital in my suede shoes. And four hours later, at lunchtime, I step outside into this beautiful sunshine. I sit in a snow-free park and enjoy my chicken satay. What on earth is going on? I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, And this day of craziness married up with the day the gyms reopened. And beer gardens of course and all other sorts of uh, new freedom here in the UK I hope you've all made the most opportunity to gym to swim to play tennis to see friends again but please don't take this new freedom for granted respect the rules I feel like a lot of people will never learn we've had three lockdowns so far in this pandemic which means we've had two gaps and we've been locked down free so we know by now that this freedom can very easily be taken away At my gym, the rules are quite simple. You must wear a mask in the corridors and when you're not actually exercising and you can't train in uh, groups larger than your own household. Uh, But many people seem to have ignored this. You walk through the corridors, people aren't wearing masks. People are working out in massive groups of friends, um, people outside the households. I don't mind really what you do, but just be aware you can't really complain if these rules are reversed, if you don't follow them now. Remember to check out the Instagram, which is at tips underscore and underscore dips for more details on all episodes and guests and also to hear my new sponsor announcement this week. So lots to be excited for on there. And remember to stay active, stay sensible and as always, most importantly, stay safe. <laughs>